The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. I intended on wrapping it up last week, and I thought we were finished, but as I began to just pray and study and kind of seek what the Lord had for us next, even though we already have a kind of a sermon map that we've planned, and we began to look at the next series that we were going to do. It just, it just was something we were like, no, it's just, it's not there. I had a conversation with someone, and it kind of sparked a thought, and I said, man, maybe I need to keep going. And I thought about it, and it didn't take very long, and I knew that I needed to keep this going. So uh, I want to teach on this again a little bit, even though we're not going to hang out primarily verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, like we did the previous three times that I taught as we went verse by verse exploring understanding spiritual gifts and the empowering of the Holy Spirit and all these different things. Today, I really want us to grow as mature followers of Christ. And I really want us to focus on setting straight some of the misconceptions that we may have about the Holy Spirit. And we have to do this before we even start to talk about this. We have to decide what's going to be the standard of truth. We have to decide what the standard of truth is going to be. Because when we are challenged, and I promise you, when we deal with a subject entitled misconceptions, that should allude to the fact you're probably going to be challenged. But I don't want to challenge you with Pastor Derek's ideas, okay? Because Pastor Derek's got some weird ideas, all right? I don't want to challenge you with my ideas. I want to challenge you with Scripture, Because we have to decide what the standard of truth is. The standard has to be the Word of God. Listen, it can't be my experiences, no matter how wonderful my experiences may have been. It can't be the way I've always grown up to think. It can't be the way my parents or grandparents necessarily lived or showed me or taught me. Because good-intentioned people, they could have very well had a misunderstanding and a misconception of truth themselves. So we have to allow Scripture to speak for itself and not get our doctrine from Christian music, not get our doctrine from the latest, greatest, best-selling book, not get our doctrine from the greatest, latest personality on television or the, greatest, the latest YouTube sensation. We have to get our truth from Scripture, from the Word of God alone. And when I look at Scripture, man, it challenges me, as it should Scripture should challenge us. If we aren't being challenged, then that means we have arrived to a place to where we think we know it all. And listen, you don't know it all. I don't know it all, right? So we should be growing and we should ask God to allow the Word as we are led by the Holy Spirit into all truth to see what Scripture may say to us concerning anything but Today we're going to kind of zero in on misconceptions dealing with the Holy Spirit. And I want to lead off by saying this. The Holy Spirit is always present in the life of a true Christian. Let that sink in for a minute. The Holy Spirit is always present in the life of a true Christian. We have this idea, this misconception that the Holy Spirit just comes to us when we pray enough, when we fast enough, when we do the right things, and when we sin or when we fall short or when we don't do enough, then the Holy Spirit leaves us. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us because He dwells in us. We've got to get rid of this bad theology. 
And listen, some of it may even come from some mainstream Christian music that has good intended people writing good intended lyrics. But listen, when we say things like the Holy Spirit is falling or filling the atmosphere or flooding this place or is being poured out or rushes over us like a flood, this can be a dangerous teaching if we're not careful because it associates the Holy Spirit with an emotional encounter or something that we conjure up by our works, by our fasting, by our praying, by our begging, by our crying. But as we look in Scripture, we don't see this happening. This is a relatively newer idea that wasn't practiced or taught by Jesus, by the disciples, by the early church, or by, by found, founding church fathers. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, and He doesn't need to be invited anywhere because He's in you if you are a believer. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I hope this sets you free today. I really hope that it sets you free today because the Holy Spirit is in you if you are a follower of Jesus and He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's the comforter. What kind of comforter would He be if I needed to ask Him to come? He's there. He's ever-present. As a matter of fact, the Bible says He's our paraclete or our side aid. He's always there with us, helping us through this journey called life, empowering us with gifts to be used by the Lord to do the things God has called and created us to do. And then He's using us for the glory of God and for the evangelization of the gospel and for the edification of the body of Christ. That's what He wants to do in us and through us, and so He is in you. We could also reference multiple other places in Scripture that say the exact same thing. Acts 6 and verse 5. Write these down and look them up later. 2 Timothy 1 and 14. And I could go on and on and on where the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you if you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit is there. Scripture says, listen, He's in you. Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God. If that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then He'll quicken your mortal body if that same Spirit now dwells in you. You see, we have received the Holy Spirit and He is now in us because He has done the regenerative work that Christ bought and paid for on the cross. When we hear the gospel and we respond to the gospel through repentance and through committing our life to Christ by confessing Him as Lord with our mouth and believing on Jesus in our hearts, then the Holy Spirit comes and does the work on the inside of us. And now there is no sin barrier between us and God. That's the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus has taken away the barrier between us and God. There was a barrier present before Jesus came. The barrier was your sin, my sin. The barrier was our rebellion, our rejection towards God. The barrier was the, this, this fallen world, but now that Jesus has come to make all things new. He has made me alive, and now my righteousness is not because of my works. It's not because I'm so good or because I'm so smart or because I've done so great, but I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ and what Jesus has done on Calvary for you and for me, and now He has opened the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him, and now I have access unhindered, unfiltered access to God because the barrier has been removed. That's the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. 
that can boldly approach the throne room of God to obtain mercy and help in my time of need, that I can petition and confidently know that my God hears me when I pray. Because I'm his child, I'm his son, you're his daughter. We are children of the king. We belong to him. Although we're in this world, we're not of this world. We're of a different kingdom because of the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us. That's the difference between us and everyone else. And that's why the Holy Spirit also dwells within us, not only for us, but to empower us and to equip us with gifts to share the gospel with, to the world. Because we can't somehow get off in our own strength thinking that we're smart enough or, or that we're sharp enough to try to do this thing without God. Because we need Him, amen? We don't just need Him at salvation. We need Him every single day. And we need to get away from this idea of just needing God when things are going crummy in our lives. Because we need Him every single day. We can't do what God has called us and created us to do without Him. And so we need Him. We need the Holy Spirit on the inside of us working and equipping and, and, and leading and guiding us into all truth. So if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us as a Christian, where did this idea of the Holy Spirit coming originate from? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament a little bit. It's an Old Testament view of God. I'm going to give you just a little bit of nutshell uh, Old Testament history here uh, for those of you who may not know this particular story and why and where we get this thinking from. The Holy of Holies was the name of the inner court of the tabernacle or when there was a temple built of the temple. And this was where God was worshipped. And there was a large veil that separated the people from what was behind the veil. And what dwelled behind the veil was the presence of God. The presence of God was behind the veil, and there was this object behind the, the veil that was called the Ark of the Covenant. You remember from Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> and the Lost Ark. That was, uh, you know, the movie version of this idea, of this thing that was really built. God tells Moses exactly the dimensions that it's supposed to be built and the materials that are supposed to be used to construct it with. It was supposed to have two angels that were made out of gold that sat on the top of, of this big box, and these angels' wings were supposed to almost touch, and they were supposed to face each other and almost touch. And then on that lid that was, that was covered in pure gold, right in the middle of where those angels' would, wings would almost touch, and that space was referred to as the mercy seat. And the high priest was the only one allowed to go in. The high priest, matter of fact, had to go in with a, with a rope tied around his waist because if he dropped dead in the presence of the Lord, then nobody could go in and get him. So they would have to pull him out. He would have to have bells that he would wear. And if the bells stopped ringing, well, there goes another one. There, because the holiness and the presence of God. I mean, this really happened, folks. Let your minds wrap around this thought for a moment. He would enter in, and, and in the inside of this ark uh, or this box, there was um, uh, the Ten Commandments, and there was a, a pot of manna, and there was the staff of Aaron. These things were inside of this box, and God's presence was, was resting and dwelling in there, and it was a holy, holy, holy thing. No one could go because this veil was separating God's presence and everyone else. And God's presence was dwelling in that place, and the priest would go in and he would put the, uh, the spotless lamb sacrifice, take that blood of that spotless lamb, and he would pour it out 
on that mercy seat. And it would cover the sins of the people as an offering, as a sacrifice to God. And he would do that on the Day of Atonement every single year. He would go in after confessing the sins of the people. There, was, uh, there were two different lambs. One was a scapegoat. The other one was a spotless lamb. They would slay, uh, slay the lamb and then take the, the high priest would take the blood. And this happened every single year. Every single year this would happen to absolve for the sins of the people. But then something happened. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 27, if you got your Bible this morning. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to talk about the death of Jesus and when He was crucified. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His spirit. So here Jesus was crucified on the cross and He cried out with a loud voice and then He dies. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. In that moment when Jesus drew his last breath, the veil in the temple that separated us from the presence of God was torn in two in that very moment. When he drew his last breath, it, it was torn from top to bottom. This big, thick, heavy curtain was just ripped in two, Scripture says. And what this was signifying was that God no longer was dwelling in the temple or in the tabernacle or in this place behind this veil separated from us, but now God was going to dwell in the hearts of men and women who believe because Jesus opened the door. Jesus paid the way. When we sing songs like Jesus paid it all, we're not just talking about our sins and the wrong that we've done. No, we're talking about now Jesus, our high priest, Scripture says, has gone into the Holy of Holies to offer up His blood once and for all. The veil is torn into, and now God's presence dwells in His people. Uh, uh, this is exciting stuff. I don't know what church you're attending this morning, but the one that's preaching about the veil being torn in two, I think that's pretty exciting stuff that we don't need to take lightly. We were separated. There was a veil, and the veil has been torn in two. There was a barrier, man. Do you get this? There was a barrier, and the barrier is gone. Have you ever experienced the joy of a barrier being removed in your life? When you were 16, you got this little piece of plastic with your picture on it and the state that you lived in. And before you had this ID badge of sorts, you were, there was a barrier between you and the open road. You could ride with other people, but you couldn't sit in the driver's seat because you didn't have the thing you needed to be able to enjoy that freely. But man, when you got it, the barrier was lifted, and you were excited. Didn't you feel joy? Weren't you excited when you first got your driver's license? I know I was. After the fourth time taking the test, I was overjoyed. <laughs> I was so excited. The barrier was lifted. There are barriers in our lives that, man, when we, we break through those things, 
man, there's such a joy. There should be no greater joy in the life of a believer than when the barrier of sin was lifted and broken and destroyed and ripped in two. So now we have unhindered access to God because now He dwells in us. Know you not that you are God's temple and His Spirit dwells in you. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 14 says this, Since we now have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What a great and powerful promise that we have that now God's Spirit dwells on the inside of us if we believe in Jesus Christ and have received that gift by faith of His grace. Now, over in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we can see where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And I want us to look at this, and I want us to, to see the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, because after Jesus ascended into heaven, He told His disciples, He said to go and wait in Jerusalem. And He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And He said that in, in verse 1 and 7, He says that He's going to endue you with power from on high. He's going to endue you with power on high to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples were in this upper room, and they were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, and there would be this sign that the Holy Spirit has come, and Jesus told them the purpose of the Holy Spirit and what was going to happen. And then what happened as they were in the upper room is that they, the Holy Spirit fell in that place where He was poured out. And that's where we see this idea of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And then they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then men from all over different regions and different places began to hear the message of the gospel and the good news of Jesus proclaimed in their own language. And they were wondering, man, what is going on? What is happening? How is it that I'm hearing this in my own language? Uh, could it be that, that all the, the chaos that was going on? Could you imagine? It's even hard to understand when I'm in the car with my my kids and there's three of them talking and I'm like one at a time right so I, I don't know if this gift in this moment was something where all these people were just shouting and these guys were picking out their own language or if perhaps God had also blessed the ears of those who were hearing to be able to hear that clearly through all of the noise because there had to be a lot happening there in that town. And you've got 120 people that are all uh, speaking in different languages, so there had to be a gift of the hearer as well. So all this happens. They're like, what in the world's going on? How am I hearing? These are Galileans is what one person is recorded as saying. These are all Galileans. How am I hearing my, the, this in my own language? And so this is what Peter, who was there that day, he stands up and says this in Acts chapter 2, and verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's not drunk time yet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Check this out. 
In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and on the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here, Peter stands up and he explains what's happening here. And this is how you would see the Old Testament prophets and what happened be confirmed. Look even through the life of Jesus when he would do something that Isaiah prophesied about or something that was written about him that David actually wrote in one of the Psalms. The scripture would say he did this so that this prophecy might be fulfilled where it says. And it would make a reference back to this point, right? So here, these people are speaking in other tongues. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Jesus said to go wait. And now they're being endued with this power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, listen, guys, this is what's going on. Because they're like, what's happening? And these guys like, they're a little tipsy. What's happening? It's not time for that yet. Um, you know, what's going on? He says, no, they're not drunk like you suppose. He says, this is that that was prophesied by Joel. You guys remember Joel. And he was bringing to remembrance the Old Testament scriptures in, uh, in the book of Joel as he was writing about these things that would happen. So what was, what was happening is that Peter said, this has come to pass and if we continually just are asking and, 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 and begging and pleading, man, asking for the Holy Spirit to be poured out again is like asking for Jesus to die on the cross again. We don't need Him to be poured out again. We may need to be refreshed in our spirit. We may, be, uh, we may have a need to be renewed. We may have a need to be filled because we leak. I mean, you see over and over where Peter was preaching and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But listen, the Holy Spirit has come, and it was confirmed by the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out. What Jesus says was going to happen, happened. Peter confirmed it by what Joel said. And now we need to make sure that we have a healthy understanding of the fact that we know that the Holy Spirit now dwells in the people of God. The Holy Spirit comforts us like Jesus said he would in John 14 and 18. He helps us remember things that we have learned about God in John 14 and 26. He also reminds us of who we are in Christ, reminds us of our position, and reminds us of who God has now made us to be, that we are now made righteous in the eyes of God. Any conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit Spirit is a conviction reminding us of who we are because we have been forgiven. And the Holy Spirit in us is saying, this thing you're doing or this thing you're being drawn to do or tempted to do, this is not who you are. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that we belong to Jesus because He doesn't speak on His own authority, Jesus said He would. He would only speak what the Father tells Him and He would always point people to Him. He would always point people to Jesus. Even those of us who now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us he is pointing us to, the, to remind us, as Jesus said, we would be reminded that we're children of God. He seals us, Scripture says. He reminds us. He's like, no, you belong to God. This is not how you're supposed to live if you truly have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. He baptizes us with power. He gives us gifts that empower us to be witnesses for Jesus, to build up the church, to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who does this work in us. And we need to understand this working of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand 
these misconceptions that we may have, man, we've got to say, Lord, I want to believe what I need to see in Scripture and what you want to show me in Scripture, not just what I've always thought, not just what I've always heard, not just trying to cookie-cutter my own theology together. Because if we do that, folks, we can get caught up in emotionalism. And emotions are good. I'm not against emotions. I mean, I love emotions. I grew up in a church that was primarily driven by emotional experiences. And some of those experiences were good experiences. But where we got into error with the way that I grew up was we began to elevate the emotional experience above the truth of the Word of God. And I know you think, well, how on earth could that happen? Well, just because we felt something, we would tag it with God. Oh, that's God, because I felt this. Everybody was feeling everything, and we were very feely. The the pastor felt everything. The people felt everything. Everything was feel, 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 feel. And we were being led astray and creating bad doctrine because of what we said we felt. And it seemed like in the church that I grew up in, the stranger you act, the more spiritual that people perceived you to be. I'm just telling you the truth. The stranger that you acted, the, 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 the more uh, spiritual people thought that you were. And man, let me tell you, that's not the case. Just because you act peculiar does not mean that you are a spiritual person. Uh, some people just, they, they would get really strange and do some really weird stuff. And I could tell you tons of stories about my experience growing up, but I had to get to a place to where I wanted to know God for who He was. And I hope that you do too. I hope that you pursue God for who He is, not for who you've always thought Him to be or who you felt Him to be. I remember growing up, and this was a regular saying around our church, the good services were the ones where the pastor didn't preach. Okay? The good services were the ones where the pastor didn't preach. And you're like, well, what did you do? Well, we would just have these great experiences. We would sing on and on. People would be prayed for. People would be ministered to. And there were some good things that happened in those environments. I'm not saying everything that happened was bad. But for us to say the good services are the ones where the pastor doesn't preach is wrong. To say that when the Word of God isn't shared and we all just have this shared experience, that that's better and that we should always want that and seek that, that's wrong. Where, where do we get this idea that just purely seeking experience is the goal? If we do have an experience where there's an extended time of prayer or an extended time of worship, let it be for the glory of God and for the edification of the church and for the evangelization of the gospel, not because it's better than the pastor sharing the holy word of God. Hello, somebody. Uh, But you see, this is what happens, and this is the danger. This is why it's so sneaky, because, yeah, pastor, but I'm kind of upset at that statement because those things are good. Yeah, they can be good. They can be, absolutely and I've experienced that, and we've experienced that, and even in our church where we've, we've had extended times of worship or prayer where maybe those things are good. But man, let me tell you something. God wants us as His children to know the truth, and He wants that truth to be so solid in us that when a stranger's voice comes along or when our emotions try to lead the way, that we know the truth. Because I'm not saved in a Christian because I feel like I'm saved. Because there's a lot of days I don't feel like I'm saved. Sometimes it's moment by moment I may not feel it. So there has to be something that transcends my feelings. You see, Jesus gave this parable of a wise man built his house on a rock. 
And we could take that parable and we could say that a wise man would build his doctrine on a solid rock and his beliefs and the way that he sees God on the rock. Something that's solid, something that doesn't move, something that's unchanged. But then there was a foolish person that Jesus contrasted this man with that built his house on what? The sand. What happens with sand? You know, I remember going on vacation when I was a kid. I was so proud of myself because I spent like two hours making this really cool sand thing. And I was so proud of it. And I was going to go tell my mom to go get our little disposable camera before cell phones, you know, you know, and then wait a week in anticipation. Or if you were a really fancy family, you dropped it off at the one hour, whew, you know, and you would come back to Walgreens and get your photos. It's so exciting. I wanted to, my mom to go get the little disposable camera, and by the time I came back, guess what happened? It was gone. Why? Just the tide just rolled in. All that work. Are you kidding me? You, you can't even recognize what it is now. Because that sand changes, and it doesn't take a lot to change sand. It doesn't. And some people, that's the way that they build their doctrine. It doesn't take a lot to change them. Doesn't take a lot to make them go from zero to a hundred. Doesn't take a, a lot for them to just get all out of sorts and all out of whack because they're not building their doctrine and their belief and their life on a solid rock. They're building it on emotional experiences. And listen, emotional experiences are good, and God wants you to experience the full gamut of your emotions. That's why He gave them to you, man. But we have to be careful when it comes to the way that we view our emotions in the life of a Christian because emotions are reactive. Emotions always follow a thought or an experience. People can say a lot of times, oh, I feel the Spirit in this song. Listen, I'm not sure how much we're feeling God, but rather we're reacting to the thoughts or our affections that are being set on God. The Holy Spirit is not the emotion. There's nothing wrong with getting excited about God, crying when you think about His overwhelming love, or even feeling a strong sense of guilt when maybe you've done something that grieves the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, however, is not the emotion. Your emotions are a reaction to your thoughts or experiences. That's why I can feel emotions in movies. I just watched The Field of Dreams with my dad the other day and cried like a baby. I mean, and the, the movie just really moved me emotionally. I will not say that God moved in that movie. <laughs> I'm not going to say, but, but see, the danger is, is that we, we, we have this idea that the emotion is the Holy Spirit. I, I can feel emotional if I hear a band that plays and they aren't even singing for the glory of God. I can get excited about, you know, the music and the way it lifts. And, and listen, the Holy Spirit is not a synthesizer at church either. What? <laughs> you know, sometimes when that synth pad gets started, that, oh, Holy Spirit's here. Nope, we just played a G chord. The Holy Spirit is here because the Holy Spirit's in you, but He didn't show up because you hit a G chord. Ooh. And you see, that's when we begin to attach this idea of mysticism and emotionalism to the Holy Spirit, and we get off into some kooky theology because all of a sudden that becomes, well, I want that to be God. I know you want that to be God. I know you want that G chord to be the Holy Spirit. I know you do. I grew up with that, man, and it was a hard transition. This was not an easy thing for me to see in Scripture and just go, okay, God, because there's something in me that wrestles with that, that I want to try to hunt and find and piece together and patch together and make it work to suit the way that I want it to be. But listen, the more and more I see Scripture, I see that I'm supposed to respond by faith, not by sight. 
I see that I'm supposed to build my life on the solid rock, not something that shifts. Those things may make you feel good, and those things may change your emotional mood, and that's good. And God can even move in a way that you began to react emotionally. But the emotion itself is not God. You may be reacting to something God has spoken to your heart or something in His Word or the lyrics or being in an environment with other believers where you may be stirred emotionally towards God and that is healthy and that is right and that is correct because that is us setting our affections on the Lord. And we should, we should totally do that. We should set our affections on God. We should set our emotions on God. We just have to be careful not to call the emotion the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to respond to God by faith, not by feelings. Because we are going to be some kind of weak sauce Christianity if we build this thing on the way we feel. Because we are all fickle. We are going to be a weak church and we are going to be a weak people if the foundation of our Christianity is based on what we feel. And you can agree with me or disagree with me, but I know that everything around me is sinking sand except the solid rock. And the solid rock that Jesus is referring to is the revelation of Him being our answer, our everything, the message of the gospel that it is all about Jesus. Even the Holy Spirit's all about Jesus. That's what Jesus said. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He's actually just going to speak all about me and point you back to me and bring glory to Him and show the need for Jesus. That's what He does when He goes and convicts the world of sin. He's convicting the world of sin because He's showing them their need for Jesus. You see, this thing is all about Jesus. And when we make it all about our experiences, we're taking away from Jesus. You see, it's not about my feeling. It's not about my emotion. It's about Jesus being glorified in my life. And if that stirs my emotions and if it moves me, then praise God because it means my heart and my affections are being set on Jesus and my heart is tender to the things of God. And God wants your heart to be tender to His, his moving and His, and his word and his, and, and his stirring inside of you as He begins to stir you and move you to do something or He begins to call you to a place of obedience. Man, that should cause an emotional reaction in you and that is good. But we cannot be led by our emotions because our emotions are impacted and affected by many different things. And, and this is what I truly believe and I, I hope you take this to heart. Separating emotional-led living from Holy Spirit-led living is something we need to seek to grow in. This is something we need, and I'm not perfect at it, man. I'm really not. And there's no one in this room that's perfect at it. Uh, Because sometimes, guess what? We get it wrong. We get off in the flesh. We get off in our emotions. And we begin to try to manufacture uh, the Holy Spirit's leading in a way where it's something that we actually really want to do or don't want to do. You know, kind of like when someone asks you to come over and help them move. Hey, I'm moving this Saturday. Let me go pray about that, brother. <laughs> you don't need to pray about that. Are you kidding me? Why are you, why, why are you praying about that? If God's going to give you permission to go help someone move, are you going to do it or not? I mean, sometimes we over-spiritualize something. If you want to feel led, go grab a number two and sharpen it and put your finger on the end. I don't know. You know, we want to... <laughs> Was that bad? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, you, do you want to go do it? Is it something that you have margin for in your life? I mean, don't think you have to pray about every single thing. God has given us, you know, wisdom. He's given us knowledge. He's given us discernment. And, and we don't always have to pray about every 
single thing. And we have to separate this idea of emotional-led living from Holy Spirit-led living. So to differentiate between the flesh and the spirit is not always black and white. And this is the hard part. It's just not. Uh, it's not. The more that you know the heart of God, though, the easier it's going to become to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way, my sheep know my voice, and to the voice of a stranger they will not listen. So it's really a maturity thing. It's really a spending time with Jesus thing. The more I spend time with Jesus, the more I know his voice. The more I spend time in the scripture, I'll be able to discern whether or not this is of God. And discernment is something that we as Christians all need to grow in. It's not something that's just reserved for a certain group of people. There are certain people that do have a stronger gift of discernment, no doubt, that the Holy Spirit has given them a stronger gift of discernment, and they may be paired with someone else that really needs that gift in their life. I know that's how my wife and I work. My wife has that gift from the Holy Spirit of discernment that's much, much stronger than mine, and she definitely can can know things that uh, the Lord may be uh, leading us to do or not to do in a very, very strong way that's the Holy Spirit, and that's a gift that she has. And, and I have to respect that gift and know that she has uh, that gift, and that she, because my wife is not a very emotionally driven person. She's just not. She can be sometimes dry in her emotions when I'll be like really excited or sobbing about something or whatever. She's like, what's your problem? You know, and, and uh, that can kind of be how my wife is sometimes. But God has gifted her with the gift of discernment, which is great because I know that her leadings are not an emotional tendency. You understand what I'm saying? If my wife were a hyper-emotional person, I would be wondering, is this God or is this you just being really emotional? But because she's not a, a high-emotional person, then when she senses or feels something, it, it's really, I can trust it a lot more and go, okay, I know that this is the Lord leading you or, or whatever the case may be. But I, I think that it's a maturity thing. Because we need to learn to listen to his voice, that still small leading, that inward knowing. Here's some questions I want to give you that you can ask to differentiate between your emotions and the Holy Spirit, okay? Number one, does what you believe God is speaking to you line up with Scripture? Man, that's a, that's a great question right there. What you believe that God is wanting you to do doesn't line up with Scripture. If you don't know the answer to that question find out. <laughs> Ask someone who maybe knows more Scripture than you or plug into it yourself, okay? And allow the Word of God and the Spirit to agree because guess what? They always will. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never go, oh, well, I know it says that, but we're going to do it this way this time. No, there's no like workaround that the Holy Spirit is going to violate the very Word of God, because the Word of God shows us God's character. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to violate the character of God because that would be violating Him Himself because He's three in one. This is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they are co-equal and they are co-creators and they are together. And we need to understand this and believe this and trust this because when we look at the Word of God, does what I'm feeling led to do or what I believe God is speaking to me, does it line up with Scripture? Does it fall in line with the character of God? And if you don't know the character of God, you need to get to know the character of God. And you know that through His Word, through spending time with Him. Number two, is the result of being obedient to what God is leading you to do, is the result of it producing the fruit of the Spirit? 
Because the fruit or the result of the Spirit of God being on the inside of you, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, we see that where all the different fruits of the Holy Spirit, you know, are those things being produced as a result of my obedience? Because this is the result of the Spirit leading you. If it's not something that's going to produce fruit in your life that is, that is connected to the Holy Spirit's dwelling on the inside of you, then you really need to ask, is this really the Lord or is it just my emotions? And this is the biggest one right here, I think. Number three, does it glorify God or you? <laughs> As I look back on my past, I, man, I wish someone would have asked me this question because there are so many things that I did that I thought were led by the Holy Spirit that were just really putting the spotlight on me and making people think that I was spiritual or that I was some you know, great... Uh, Christian or whatever the case may be. And I loved it. I loved the attention. And that's when I knew, as now that I'm older, that's how I know that it was wrong because I, I loved that attention. I, I, I loved it when people thought that I was really spiritual or that I was a really good Christian or that I could do or say things that would sound really Christian and really spiritual because, man, it made, made people really think that I was really special, really gifted. And, man, I loved that type of attention. And I was soaking it all up, and Scripture says God will not share His glory. It's reserved for Him and Him alone. You don't get a little piece of it. It's not more of you, less of me. No, God, it's all of you. Amen? Matter of fact, in Scripture, we're told that we need to carry our cross and follow Jesus because we need to die to ourselves. We need to, you know, surrender everything, our life, body as a living sacrifice, all these different scriptures that point to this idea of it not being about us. It's about God. It's about Him getting the glory. So does it glorify you or does it glorify God? Those are three questions that I think that will help you. And it seems to me that once you submit to what God is saying and you obey, that that peace follows. Because peace follows obedience. And then my emotions experience joy. My, I experience rest. I feel, you see. There's nothing wrong with feeling those things, man. That emotion is a gift from God because it's you wading through tension and wrestling with seeking what is truly God. It's you wrestling with this idea of, God, is this you? Are you in this? And, and, and it is a wrestle. And sometimes God isn't clear and you have to live in the tension. But here's what I'll say about the tension. It can be good for you too. The tension can be good for you. It's not always have to be a this or that. The tension can be good for you because wrestling is good for us. If we don't wrestle, we get this superiority complex where we think we know it all and we begin to look down on everyone else. It's good to wrestle. It's good for there to be tension. Now, there are things that are black and white in Scripture, and when those things are black and white, we need to believe those things black and white and see those things black and white, and we need to live those things black and white. There are definitely those things in Scripture. But when it comes to the tension, man, allow that wrestle to be good because, man, I, I can't look and open up Scripture, what TV shows I'm supposed to watch, you know, what type of friends I'm supposed to hang out with, what their names are, and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's certain instances where I'm with people where I just have to trust the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you don't need to be in that environment. Or the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you do need to be in that environment. Or when you watch a certain show and there's this, there's this, this leading that you just know this is not who you are and you need to not be in this place and, or doing this thing, that's when you need to submit to the Holy Spirit and what He's trying to do. That's learning His voice. And it is a wrestle, but here's the thing. When you make a mistake and you miss hearing the voice of God, I believe we really know it. But thank God that His grace is sufficient. And I truly believe that God gives second chances. Don't you? I'll tell you this story as, I, as I'm wrapping up this morning. When I was a teenager, I worked at a grocery store. I was 15 years old when they hired me. And um, I didn't make a lot of money. You know, as a teenager, I was making four fifteen an hour. And barely got to work, you know, because of my age, like 10, 15 hours a week. And so my paycheck was really precious to me. Every dollar, it was mine. I worked for it. I pushed those groceries out. I dealt with those customers, you know. Here I am, 15 years old, getting my paycheck, cashing it, doing whatever I wanted. Man, uh, the, the world was my oyster. You know, I'd go and just, uh, if I wanted a video game, if I wanted to go eat a hamburger, whatever I wanted to do, right? You remember that first job and that first paycheck? You remember that experience? Our town had just gotten a Dairy Queen, Right? And we were pretty jazzed about having a Dairy Queen in our little town. And so I had my check cashed, and actually me and one of my coworkers were going to go to this new Dairy Queen in town. And when we were standing there, there was a man and a, and, and a woman, and they had a little girl, probably two, three years old, and they were looking at what to order. And the Lord put it on my heart to buy that man's ice cream. And I knew that it was the Lord because I didn't feel like buying someone's ice cream. This was all about me, right? This is my paycheck. I didn't come in here to spend money on other people. I came in here to spend money on me, and I was completely self-focused. But when I led, there was this prompting on the inside of me. And then I began to wrestle, and I wrestled, and I wrestled. And as the man began to pull out his wallet, I had my hand on mine in my back pocket. And I'll never forget this. I can still see it. I can still see the day and what everything was like because it stands out to me so much but I didn't do it. I, I didn't buy the ice cream. And I went ahead and bought mine. That was the worst tasting ice cream I'd ever had in my life that day. Because here I was knowing I violated the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I knew that there was something I should have done, so I had to say, Lord, forgive me for, for missing this. I, I just missed it. I was selfish. I knew what was right, and I didn't do it. And that inward knowing produced in me this reminder that has stayed with me throughout the years. So fast forward, my family and I were planting a church in Texas in 2009, 2000, well, 2006 to 2009. We were planting a church in Texas, and um, man, we were struggling. We were strapped for cash. Um, my wife and I's combined income was uh, not very impressive, and we had three babies, all three in diapers. And those of you that have babies or that have had babies know diapers are expensive. Well, times three on that and then the formula, and they had to have special stuff, and, and because of the, the, the premies and all this, man, we just had all these just expenses, and then we decided to do a house remodel in the middle of that for some reason, so let's buy a house that needs renovated, and we sunk a bunch of money into that, and we were just strapped, man. I mean, like, we weren't paycheck to paycheck. Uh, it was worse than that. <laughs> I mean, uh, we were getting phone calls, you know. It was, it was bad. It was really tough. And it was a rare treat for my family and I to get to go out to eat. And 
I had landed a big job because I was building websites at the time while we were planting a church. And so I was doing website and graphic design. I had my own little business, my own little hustle, and I'd just gotten a big job. And so I felt pretty good. We were able to catch up on some bills, pay some things off, and then I had some money. It's going to take my family out to eat, right? So we go to a Taco Bueno, and I know you don't know what Taco Bueno is if you've lived in Wisconsin your whole life, but God bless you. If you do, it's just wonderful. Um, Taco Bueno is like upscale Taco Bell, okay? It's better than Taco Bell. Um, and, and man, we just had one open in town. So we went to Taco Bueno, so excited to get to treat my family. I had probably about 40 bucks in my pocket that I had kind of budgeted to take my family out to eat. And there was a man in front of me, and he had a particularly large family, and uh, he was sitting there ordering, and God said, buy that man's food. And again, I start wrestling. God, I just got paid. I just got to take my family out to eat. I just, and here, same thing, just like when I was 15, except now, you know, this is 10, you know, 15 years later. And here I am wrestling once again. Same deal. And as I'm wrestling, I knew it was the Lord, and I remembered what happened the last time that I had ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so I reached in my pocket, and I go and I tap the man on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, sir, I'm not crazy, which is always a, you know, great <laughs> way to lead off a conversation. You know, like, I promise I'm not crazy, but uh, God told me to buy you and your family's lunch. And I was expecting, like, this TLC moment, you know, like we were going to hug, and, you know, when you, somebody's done something nice for you. And no, it, he just looked at me. He looked at me like, What? And I said, yeah, I want to, I just, I said, I felt like God told me, and I used those words, I said, I felt like God told me. And so he let me buy it, he took his tray, and he just walks away, just, you know, like he never said thank you. It was really weird. He went down and sat with his family, and it was like, it's really, you know, expensive meal. Now, I've just got pennies left to take my family out to eat. Like, I don't know, I, I might have had 10 bucks left. And I'm going, oh boy, all the things I wanted to buy, I'm now having to get really creative. Okay, so we can all split one taco, right? I mean, you know, we're having to get really creative. And so we order, and I actually wanted to order three tacos that day, but I had to order two, and I was kind of upset about that, but I knew I'd been obedient, so I was like, okay, Lord, that was weird. I thought the guy would have been more grateful. So we go, and we sit down, and I have my two little tacos, and we sit down to eat, and he gets up, and he comes over, and he says, sir, My family and I just moved to this town six months ago, and I'm a worship pastor at a church. And he said, the church is going through all kinds of turmoil, and we've been considering, do we need to go or do we need to stay? And we were praying and saying, God, we need to know that you want us here. You need to let us know because this is hard, and we want to leave, and this is not what we signed up for, and this is tough. He said, and then you came up to me, and you told me that God told you to buy our meal. He said, and when we sat down, my wife and I talked about this, and we felt like that was God's confirmation to us saying, yeah, you're where you need to be. Whoa. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, wow, man. I'm like, well, praise God, you know. And so we started talking and chatting and prayed with them. It was like a wonderful experience. And then, no joke, as I get up to leave and throw my food away, there was this postal worker. She was on her way out the door, and she was hurt. She was in a hurry, and she grabs me, and she says, she says sweetie, she said, do, she said, I'm not trying to be weird or anything, but I have an extra taco that I have not touched, and I'm about to throw it away. She said, because I've got to get back to work, but I just, do you want this? I, I promise I haven't opened it. I haven't done anything to it, and I'm just going, 
I just start crying when this lady's just looking at me and she doesn't know what's going on. She had to leave. I just start crying. I get my little extra taco, you know. See what happens when we're led by the Holy Spirit? And, and here's the thing. Here's what I feel I and mean, what, I, what, what I think, and, and, and this is kind of how I would want to conclude this. We need an increased awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what we need. We don't need Him to fall. We don't need Him to be poured out. We need to be more aware. We need to be more aware of what's already on the inside of us. We need to be more aware that He is here. We need to be more aware that He wants to move in your life and speak to you. We need to be more aware that He wants us to be used by Him. We need more awareness of the holy presence of God in our lives. But He doesn't come to us in a cloud like in the Old Testament or through some emotional experience that we petitioned Him with, that He can overwhelm us emotionally, but rather He lives in us. We need to continually be filled by drinking in the things of God, immersing ourselves in the Scriptures and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to give us gifts to be used for edification and evangelism, producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. What this does is it creates a greater dependence on God in our lives. And instead of asking the Holy Spirit to come or welcoming Him, we should instead ask, Holy Spirit, help me to be more aware of what You're leading me to do today because I know You're there and I want to listen to what the Spirit is saying because I know He dwells on the inside of me. And we got to grow to learn how to hear that voice. And sometimes you'll miss it, but it's okay. In that moment, I knew that I saw that Dairy Queen, saw that little girl in that moment at that taco place, and I knew, I knew that this was another opportunity. So I pray that through this message that some misconceptions have been cleared up or maybe that you've been challenged. If I have done nothing more than challenge you to read your Bible more and search out the Scripture, then, that, then good has been done here today. Because check me on these things. Read your Bible. Go and pursue and seek out truth. Go and pray about this. Go, go and read Scripture and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. That's what I want you to do. Not just get up here and just go, oh, well, Pastor Derry said this. So this. No, no, what did God say? What does His Word say, Right? Because God should speak louder than Pastor Derek in your ears. The Holy Spirit of God should speak louder to you than any sermon I've ever shared. So here was, here's my prayer. My prayer is that God will take anything that's Derek out of your mind and your remembrance and that only what is truly of God will remain. So if Derek got in the way today, Lord, I repent and I want our church to only hear the truth of your word. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.